doubt can creep in at any time for any reason. But don't worry, you're not the first person to question or doubt the direction of your journey. In fact, even the disciples who were with Jesus in real time had doubts at pretty much every step of the way. So ask the hard questions, wrestle with the hard issues. It could lead to the biggest blessing of all. That's today on the podcast. It's Marisa from the Tower Hill production team. Thank you so much for listening into our Tower Hill podcast. Whenever or wherever you're listening, we hope this podcast blesses you, and we hope that you feel free to share it with someone that you know so that they'll feel blessed too. We are 10 weeks into our summer series called On the Road Again, Finding God in the Unexpected Journeys. This summer road trip has been amazing, and this week is no different. We have a special guest preacher, our very own youth director, Gerard Marone, and he is tackling one of the hardest roadblocks of all, doubt. But the Bible has a lot to say about doubt, so let's check it out right now. So you guys are probably wondering why there's a table up here. Um, so those of you that don't know me, I'm, my name is Gerard Marone. I'm the director of student ministries here. Um, but beyond that, I'm also a high school teacher, and my students hate when I teach at the board because I pace back and forth and back and forth like nonstop and I'm Italian so I'm constantly moving my hands so they're like Mr. Marone you need to stay behind a podium so I'm going to spare you guys the same process and not pace back and forth like crazy. Uh, we are so happy that you guys are here and we're continuing this this series called On the Road Again Finding God in the Unexpected Journeys and I love that it's this, this series of being on a journey, especially because the summer is when we tend to go on journeys more frequently, right? We change our routines after setting them up for nine or ten months. All the teachers in the room are like, yeah, I know, they're going to have to get put back in at the end. But it's good for us, right? We, we take trips and we change things up. Like up here at Tower Hill, we add our eight o'clock patio service and we give our choir a break. Um, for some of you work, they give you flex time where you can get out early on a Friday or go in late on a Monday to get a little bit more time out of the traffic. And then, like I said, kids are out of their routines. We get them all set. We have them doing the same thing for 10 months, and then we just let them run amok for two months. And uh, as crazy as that is, I know all your parents are like, yeah, I know, I know exactly how many minutes until they go back to school. Um, we, we allow them to just have a little bit of unexpected, and I think that's important. And more than all of those things, I think the, the idea of going on a vacation or going on a trip and the idea of that on the road is, is huge because any of you who have ever flown knows that that in and of itself is a real adventure whenever you step into an airport. And I think the, the fact that we open up into the unexpected is huge. I think that's a really important thing. So this whole series has been about while we're on these journeys— that we can find God in those journeys. So whether it's this long trip over to Europe or to somewhere crazy, or it's just simply like going over the bridge in Seabright and onto the beach, we can find God in those journeys. And the, the stories that we've looked at over this summer series have been about people from all these years ago having the same experience, right? They've been on a journey of some form, and we've seen God encounter them in many different ways on their journey. So today we're going to be digging into the idea of doubt. And what happens when you're on a journey is that doubt is this little thing that creeps in and then becomes this much bigger thing as things start to go wrong. Because I'm sure if I did a show of hands on how many people have planned this awesome trip and then something went wrong almost immediately, I'd see a lot of hands. And 
I think the idea of doubt being this snowballing effect is a big part of being on a journey. We feel like as one thing goes wrong, then everything else gets pushed back and it becomes this snowballing thing. And I feel like we've all experienced doubt on our journey and you probably said it as a kid and you probably have children now and they say it as well, the classic, are we there yet line. And as the journey continues on and it feels like it's never going to end, kids ask that question more and more frequently because they're getting more and more doubtful about it. As adults, it can be equally as terrifying and equally as real, right? Like, we're the ones that are supposed to be driving or navigating. Are we lost? Is our hotel going to be there when we get there? Is there even a hotel where we're going? Like, those are types of things that creep into our brains. And so the the general thing I want to look at today is what happens when we begin to doubt on our journey. So thinking about this and prepping for this, uh, thinking about different journeys I've been on, the one that immediately came to my mind was when I was a sophomore in college. So I finished school in May, and my girlfriend at the time, now my wife Claire, was studying abroad, and she went from March to June. So there was some overlap time where she was in Greece and I was home. So I was able to go over and visit her for a couple weeks. First time I had ever traveled out of the country and first time I'd ever traveled on my own. So it was a little, little different. And we, we get there. Uh, she picks me up from the airport, and she tells me she has these weekends trips planned. One was to one of the Greek Isles, and the first weekend was to a place called Meteora. And this is a picture of Meteora. It's incredible, these, these giant cliffs. And if you look at the very top of each of these, there are these buildings that they put on top of them. Those are Greek Orthodox monasteries that have been there since the early 1300s. So they've been there a really long time. And so we were going to see these monasteries. And um, Claire's group had gone as a, a whole tour group, and they did the whole thing. And so she was like, all right, great. I'm going to take them back. It's going to be easy. We're just going to bus up there and and go and uh, check out these monasteries. So the first problem was we couldn't find the bus depot. Um, We wandered around the neighborhood we thought it was in for what felt like forever, and since it was 2008 and we didn't speak or read Greek, that's all we saw. That was it. That was it. And, And for all the kids in the room, this was before smartphones, so it was like, couldn't just pull out Google Maps. We, uh, we, we didn't have anything to, to work off of. You can go back to the other slide. Sorry, I jumped it. Um, and so we, we finally figured it out. We found the bus depot, but our bus was supposed to leave at 3 o'clock, and we got to the bus depot about 5.30. They left on the hour, so we could take a 6 o'clock bus, and we're like, okay, well, let's just do this. We're going to go. We get on the bus. It's a five-hour drive up. And if you've ever been on a bus in Europe, you know it's a little different than buses here. There's no guardrails on the side of the roads. Bus drivers drive like lunatics. Um, Claire slept through the whole thing, and I remember every moment of it, and it was awful. (laughs) So we get to the town, and then we remember it's like 11.30 at this point, 12 o'clock, close to midnight. We get there and remember that we have to take another bus, that it wasn't just a single bus to get to our hotel, and that was when we realized that the entire town was shut down. There was no other buses running for the night, So we, being the 20-year-old, know-everythings that we were, we're like, yeah, we're just going to walk it. No big deal. We found an internet cafe and looked it up. We were going from Trikala to a town called Kalambaka, and there's the distance, uh, 27 kilometers. We quickly realized that walking was not an option. So we regrouped. We walked for a long time trying to find a taxi, and we finally found a taxi. Um, with our little bit of English, Greek that we could work on, we got ourselves in a taxi. He took us there. It was a Mercedes S500, which was really cool. And he went about 100 miles an hour the whole way. 
And it was so dark because we were in this valley. You can see the topography there. It was this really kind of narrow corridor that we, we finally get to the hotel. He takes us there. We survive the drive. We get there. The hotel had overbooked and no longer had our room. So we had no room. But they told us, if you just go up and around this corner into the black abyss where there's no streetlights, in about a quarter of a mile, there's a sister hotel. There's a sister property, so we're going to go there. And that's where your reservation will be. Everything's going to be fine. I think it's pretty clear where the doubt was coming in in this story. Um, I started to doubt that we would ever get a room. So I kicked into like planning mode and saying, all right, I have to like make myself bigger than the five foot six frame that I am and be this protector because we're going to sleep on the street and I'm going to have to figure this out. Um, Claire started doubting that my parents would ever talk to her again because my mom told her before we left, like, take care of my son. This is his first time out of the country. And, uh, and I'm pretty sure Claire thought my mom would never talk to her again. But it was just one of those things we doubted it was ever going to be anything other than a miserable experience. And you see, we, while we had to walk through that crazy abyss to get up to the, the supposed hotel that was going to be up there, I think that's where the parallel comes with the story we're going to look at today in, in Luke's gospel. And that's those, we're going to look at the first story told after the resurrection of Jesus when they discovered the empty tomb. And this is a point in the disciples' lives and those that follow Jesus' lives that was very scary. It was like a black abyss to them because they had followed this guy who they thought was going to be the one, you know, to save everything, and then he died. And now it was just all up in the air. They had no idea what to do. So we're going to take a look in the, the book of Luke, and we're going to meet a man named Cleopas. And he and his friend are walking on a road out of Jerusalem. So this is what it, what it says. It starts in verse 13. It says, Now the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood, their faces downcast, one of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only visiting Jerusalem? Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. So at this point, we notice the first hint of doubt creeping in. Notice that Cleopas referred to Jesus as a prophet. So up until this point, people referred to him as the Messiah, the coming king that was going to redeem Israel. And all of a sudden, we're now three days out from the crucifixion, and he switched his language back to a prophet. He's lumped him back with all of the other prophets that the Israelites knew. So it was so quickly after the fact that the doubt creeped in that he wasn't sure. This was a person that, you know, Jesus was, was hidden from them. He didn't know who this person was, and he wasn't sure, so he flipped back to prophet. Cleopas um, continues on, but before we do that, I think it's important for us to define spiritual doubt as we discuss this. And spiritual doubt is simply the fact that it, you're not believing that Jesus is who he says he is. I think it's that simple when we think about doubt in the spiritual context. So Cleopas continues to tell this story. He says, the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And there's the next step in the doubt for Cleopas. We had hoped. Those three words, I feel like, were just a dagger there, right? Like it it was the snowball gets carried a little bit more. There's a little bit more doubt as we work through this. 
And I think that those three words are so crucial and so brutal to our story. Because from what we can tell looking at the, the Gospel of Luke is that Cleopas was a man in the know. He wasn't, you know, one of the, the 12 disciples. But as we look in the story and the chronology of this, this happens right after, um, right after the, the resurrection was discovered and the tomb was found empty. And immediately after, Luke refers to Cleopas and this unnamed friend as two of them, which would hint that he had an inside track in all of this. If someone close enough to have had a personal interaction with Jesus starts to have doubt three days after this all happens, I think it normalizes our own doubt 2,000 plus years removed and never having experienced that personal um, face-to-face type of conversation that this man most likely had with Jesus. He continues on. He says, And what is more, it is the third day since this all took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but did not find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. This is the third time in the story that doubt creeps in. And I think this is where we can relate the most. So we see more than just Cleopas here, not being able to connect the dots. And I think a big part of doubt is the inability to connect the dots when we're on a journey. I think that's a big piece here. We see the missed bus. We see missing the destination by 28 kilometers. We see having no room to stay in, but we don't see where Jesus is leading us. We have a hard time connecting those dots. And Cleopas had the same experience here. Same with the women who went to the, um, the tomb and then the disciples who went and saw the tomb. They had heard Jesus talking about all he was going to be doing over those three years that they were with him. And three days later, they completely forgot that Jesus had to go through all of these things and he, he talked about all the prophecies about him and he, they never made the connection. They couldn't connect the dots that this was supposed to happen and it was going to the way it was supposed to. They just started doubting. Jesus then starts to prod their doubt, which I love, and this is uh, the next part of the story. It says, he said to them, this is Jesus speaking, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? The beginning, and beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So we went in to stay with them. I love the fact that after this conversation with this stranger on the road, that Cleopas invites him to stay. I think the fact that they urged him to come eat with them is simply because they wanted to stay close with him. It was as if he resembled somebody and they couldn't peg it. They couldn't figure out who it was, but there was something there. There was an it factor that they just were attached to. And I feel like that's something that I can connect with. That There's times where I'll meet someone and I'm like, you remind me of somebody and I just can't peg it. And I feel like that's what they wanted. They just wanted to be around whatever that it factor was just a little bit longer. The story continues and, and, and finishes here. It says, and when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together. 
when I read this story, I relate so much to the emotions that are going on in Cleopas's heart, and at the same time, I, rea- I really relate to his action as well. So, as I mentioned earlier, when I have doubt creeping into my mind and, and creeping into my life, I get busy. I'm, an, I'm a doer. I'm an action person. So, like in our Greek story, I immediately was like, okay, we need to figure this out. Like, let's get a plan. Let's start working through this. I just jump into action when doubt creeps in. And that's really how Cleopas reacts to this, this situation in our story. He's leaving Jerusalem. He's walking away from what is becoming the epicenter of Jesus' ministry, where it starts off after the resurrection. He's leaving after Passover to go back to whatever he did. We don't know. There's not a lot of genealogy there. But the doubt led him into action. And the same thing happened for many of the disciples. If we think about some of the other stories after the resurrection, like if we look at Peter's story, Jesus comes and meets Peter in the boat where, Jesus, where Peter's fishing, right? Peter was a fisherman before he met Jesus and was called into ministry, and as soon as that ended, he went back to fishing. He went back to what was comfortable, and his doubt led him to action, whether it was right or wrong. On the emotional side, many days I feel like Cleopas. I feel like I was saying I had hoped, right? That I had hoped that Jesus was going to redeem me and clean up the mess that I made or the mess that I was in. And I'd be lying if I said I didn't have moments in my life or days or weeks or seasons where I doubted that Jesus is who he says he is. That would be a total lie if I said that I've never doubted that. And there have been so many moments where I wanted to see with my eyes like the 11 got to and like the, those closest to Jesus got to see, and I just haven't gotten that experience. But I think there's three actions that can come out of this story from Cleopas that, and his encounter with Jesus that helps us to kind of figure out what to do when doubt creeps into our journeys. First and foremost, I think it's important for us to let out our doubt. If we look at the story today, it strikes me that Cleopas started talking to this random guy on the the road pretty much as soon as he met him. It was, you know, he opened up. And if we think about the the history and we think about all of the the stories surrounding those closest to Jesus at, at and around the crucifixion, you didn't want to talk about this. You wanted to keep this underground. They were looking for people who followed Jesus. So the fact that Cleopas is just openly telling about how they found the empty tomb and there was a vision of angels and all of this stuff, it's, it's really fascinating to see that Cleopas desperately just needed to talk to somebody. He just needed to get it off his chest. He had all this doubt that crept in so fast and he just needed it out. He needed to kind of brain dump it off of his shoulders. And I think that's also why he didn't want this stranger to leave, is the stranger provided something that he needed so badly, which was someone that would listen, someone that would just be there and say, I understand and I'm hearing you right now. In our journey in Greece, that was one of the things that we had as Claire and I traveled and tried to figure out what to do. We were constantly talking. I feel like we sat at that bus station for like 25 minutes trying to decide whether we should even get on the bus or just stay in Athens for the weekend and just bag the whole trip. Um, we, we, were, we constantly communicated through it, and it made it easier. It helped alleviate the doubt as we worked through it. And just like we shared our doubts in that Greece situation, I think that's something that we need to do as the body of Christ. We need to be able to share our doubts when we're doubting that Jesus is who he says he is. Everyone here needs to have someone that they can go to and say, I am struggling I am doubting. I need to just get this off my chest. Everyone needs someone to do that. And I think that's hard. It's very difficult to do because there's a shame attached to that. 
right? Like when we come in here on Sunday mornings and we look around and people are just fully engaged in worship, my first reaction is like, wow, I am not where that person is. And I feel like I should be because I work here and I'm just not. And that's something that has so much shame to it. But to have someone to let that out and tell that person like, hey, I am struggling with this is really, really important. And on the flip side, you guys all need to be that person for somebody else. You need to be that ear that someone might need right now. For me, like, if you think about that person for you, that's great. For me, that person is Dave Faust. Um, When it comes to my work, my marriage, like, my faith, anything like that, he's the first person I turn to. And he knows all of a sudden that something's going on if he looks at his phone and there's like 15 text messages for me in a row. He knows that there's something up and that we need to talk. So I encourage you, when you leave today, figure out who that person is that you can share your doubt with. The second one is to find community when doubt arrives. When we meet Cleopas on the road to Emmaus, he's already got somebody with him. He had this other unnamed friend he could have brain dumped to, he could have shared with, but he wanted more people. He wanted to be around more people. And I think in times of struggle, in times of doubt, we want that intimacy with other people. And and in a large group, there's safety in that intimacy of, of sharing it. And sometimes when things are just not going well, we need that just close proximity is all that it really takes. Um, finding a community where you can be near others is so crucial. And like perfect example, this week, so we're in the middle of this long kitchen renovation, which feels like it's going gone on for about six years. Anybody who's done their kitchen knows that it feels like it's been forever. You think it's awesome, you're going to eat out every meal, you can eat whatever you want because you're not cooking in, and then a week later you're like, I never want to see a restaurant again. And this week we were lucky enough, um, my, my in-laws won a dinner with Anna, and if you guys know Anna, little Italian lady who's just awesome. So she helped us and taught us how to cook this whole long dinner, and we were there for like six hours, and it was just this wonderful time to not be at our house, to not be worrying about the kitchen, to not have any of that stuff going on. We just had that community and had that ability to just let it out. And I could admit that that was the hardest part on our Greece trip that we didn't have. Claire and I, I feel like we're the only two people in the entire of Europe that didn't speak Greek, and that only spoke English, and we couldn't find people to connect with, and that was really hard. That felt very isolating in that situation. And the final thing is to to go to Jesus when doubt arrives, to draw closer to Jesus when it arrives in your life. I love what Cleopas says in the, the second to last verse when he says, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? When I think of this burning, I think of passion, I think of hearing a great like halftime team talk or like a really you know rah-rah moment in a, in a sports movie. I'm a sports guy, so that's what I go to. Like I think of Miracle and I think of the movie, like right when they're getting ready to play the Russians. That's just what I go to because you see, like you watch that and you're like, let's go. I'm in, I'm, I'm fired up. And I think that's what happened when Jesus interacted with Cleopas. Cleopas left with his heart reignited for that relationship with Jesus. And we're at, when we are at our point of most doubt, That's when we need to turn to Jesus more than ever. We need to focus on him, spend time with him, spend time in his word, and allow him to reignite our hearts for that relationship. It seems too simple, but at the same time, it's an actionable step that we're all capable of doing. We can all find time in our lives to spend in community with Jesus, to push doubt down, and allow that flame to be reignited. That's unfortunately all we know about Cleopas. There's no back-end story to this. We don't know what happened to him. We don't know what he did after the fact. We do know, though, that when doubt creeps into our lives, 
and we can't see the dots being connected, that there is a master weaver putting those dots together and, and helping us find our way in those situations. And most of the time, that resolution is better than we could have ever dreamed. So if we go back to our Greece trip, we did go up that hill. There was a, there was a hotel there. Uh, we had to bang on the door for a while because it was late, and a janitor opened the door for us, but they got the person who ran the hotel, and the hotel was way nicer than the place we paid for. Um, I think there's actually a picture of it on the next slide. Uh, that little building right there was the hotel, and so we opened up, we had a balcony, and we opened it up, and it was this long, like, open countryside, and the reason why it was the Black Abyss walking up the night before is that stone was right in front of us. Um, that gigantic rock, rock feature was making it look like it was forever into the blackness. Even though there are times where we doubt Jesus is who he says he is, it doesn't shake his love for us. In the end, the payoff is worth all of that doubt. Fighting to stay in that relationship with Jesus is worth all of the doubt that we'll encounter. We're all going to face times of doubt. How can we not with all we go through? But we know the end of the story. We know that at the end of the day, Jesus takes all of that doubt, all of that hurt, all of that pain on himself at Calvary for us because he just wants to be in relationship with us. He just wants to spend time with us. He's cleared the way for us to have that relationship. Now it's our job to push doubt aside and journey with God.